Hello and welcome to another episode of the Origins of Home podcast. We are in episode number 10, about halfway point for the season, um, for the first season. And today I wanted to try a little bit of a different style of episodes of what I've done so far. Welcome to the Origins of Home podcast. I am Mariana Venceslao and I am your host. In the Origins of Home, we are contemplating home, family, and life. Join the journey to become a better steward of the skills, resources, and relationships we have. Um, in early 2020, I read a book by Jeremy Pryor. The book was entitled Family Revision, How Ancient Wisdom Can Heal the Modern Family. And I wanted to go about doing a, a sort of book review. What did I think of it? What are the insights that we can get? A little bit of a disclaimer. I no longer have access to the book that I purchased because um, I had to restart my Kindle and I bought it through Amazon and Amazon does this digital licensing thing. And basically what it, what, it, what happened was I had to restart my Kindle and then import the files back into it. But through that process, the Kindle kind of thought that I hadn't purchased the book. And so it's locked out of my, of my device and I can't open it anywhere else because it's a specific format and it has a D a DLM or DLR or DRM protection thing. So I don't have access to the book that I purchased anymore. I won't be able to go through the, the chapter list, but I have my I have my trusty old notes to give me a, a, an overview of the book. So basically, in this book, what Jeremy's trying to do is lay out a framework for a way to understand family in our modern context with a Christian mindset, with a biblical mindset. So in order to do that, he lays out two different frameworks of the classical family model that's usually found in the Middle East um, and mostly ancient, but nowadays is still um, very much in use. But he lays out as an ancient model, which he calls a classical family model. And... He also lays out the modern family model, which we can say is the nuclear family. I'm also going to talk about an article that I read on The Atlantic that was released in early 2020 as well, called um, The Nuclear Family Was a Mistake. This is an article by David Brooks, I believe, and it's linked in the show notes as well. Jeremy does this. Um, he lays out these two frameworks and right out of the gate, he establishes that both, and I totally agree, agree with this, both of these frameworks, both of these understandings of family, both the classical and the nuclear, they need to be redeemed by Jesus. Both of them have flaws, both of them have, have shortcomings, and both of them need redemption through Jesus. Then he goes on to explore the different um, aspects of identity formation, of how each person in, in these different settings of understanding familial relationships 
how they can, um, where they can derive their identity from. And then he goes on to lay out the aspects of the of the identity of each family member. So he goes on through the the father, the mother, the siblings, um, the children, and the extended family, the identity of the extended family. And then he goes on to um, talk about family planning. Is it an asset or is it evil? Um, and how each person, how each framework sees the the individual people that compose that family. And then the book goes on to give out some tools for building a family team. And this is, um, this family team concept is one that he lays out in the book as well and is one that his uh, ministry and business really focuses on is this idea of seeing the family as a not a collection of individuals but as a team and we know from sports that teams work conjoined they work together in pursuit of a common goal and it's a very clearly defined goal and the team celebrates together and it works together and each person has a role to play in the team. So I, I really think this analogy is um, spot on. And I think it's really interesting to to get this new framework for our cultural context. Because frankly, most of the, if not all, all of our problems derive from relationships if you look at the core of it yeah most if not all of our problems derive from um, problems in relationships and what is a fundamental relationship that we all have whether it's good or bad whether it's structured or structured or not whether it's whole or or completely fragmented or absent is family because we all come to existence through a mother and a father having a baby. These are the kinds of, of pearls of wisdom that you got here that a woman and a, and a man get together and they can make a baby. Um, science. Anyway, so this idea that well, most of what we see today, the, the rebellion, the hurt, the, the fragility, the extravagant pushback against societal structures most most of those those things have roots in in problems that arise within the family structure and this can be can sound very freudian but i assure you it's not it's more of a let's try to um, understand how we can create systems and create a family structure and relationship that is solid that is sound that is healthy and that is based on biblical wisdom so that we can diminish these these relationship problems so that we can diminish these corrosions and these problems that we're seeing in society because there there's data to back this up i'll try to find the article that i read many months ago um pointing this out but the vast majority of people that are imprisoned, they say that they didn't have men particularly, but men, imprisoned men, the majority of them 
say that they didn't have a, a present father or they didn't have a, a healthy father in the sense that if the father was not absent, he was not a very nice paternal figure. And this showcases um, a very strong correlation between raising um, and becoming um, healthy, mature, good men has a strong correlation with having a good, present, caring, loving father. And the same can be true for the mother, but with different repercussions. So let's take a, a, a short pause and then we'll go over th- uh, we'll go through some of my notes. Um, yeah, some of the pointers. This is what I've said up to now is basically the the and now I'm gonna go through each of the different sections and point out some of my notes, some of the things that I think were interesting. And then I'm gonna go through just some random random unstructured thoughts on the nuclear family and how we can apply that to our lives. So, random note-taking by me on Family Revision by Jeremy Pryor. In the introductory part, he mentions that if God's character is revealed through the picture of a loving family, then distorting this picture leads to the distortion of our understanding of God. And right out of the gate, this is so profoundly true. Because what we've seen since the middle of last century was the decline in the pursuit of of a religious belief from the majority of people. And what happened in the middle of last century? The sexual revolution, the restructuring of of our understanding of family, and the the beginning of the nuclear family phenomenon, which the article that I've mentioned, um, which is in the show notes, the nuclear family was a mistake, showcases, lays out this this idea that the nuclear family is a failed social experiment that puts a lot of pressure on the the individuals that make up it, that make it up. And yeah, it just puts a lot of pressure on everyone. It's not good. Um, this idea that we should have nuclear collections of individuals that pursue their own interests and then one person, which is often the mother, is left to take care of everything and make sure that the children are um, properly set up for their future success and make sure that the house is in order and make sure that um, the provider, which is usually the father, um, has all of the resources necessary and doesn't have to worry about anything else other than bringing in money, then leaves leaves this this home taker, this home builder, this home carer, this person responsible for raising the children with a huge burden and not enough personnel resources to carry out this function. You know, it basically requires that everyone in this nuclear family 
structure to be superhuman, and we are not. So then, this distortion of the family distorts our understanding of God. So it's no wonder that correlating in the timeline, at least, to the rise of the nuclear family, we had the decline in um, the pursuit of God. So to um, bring back this this deeper pursuit and this broader understanding of God, or let's put it the other way around, this broader pursuit and this deeper understanding of God, it's no wonder that we need to restore the family structure. He also lays out this idea that maybe you, listener, is the generation in your family line, in your family um, history, to receive the blessing that God promised your family through Abraham 5,000 years ago. And that is a very powerful thought. Of course, we have no way of knowing if this is actually true, um, apart from you, apart from your, your history when it's finished, when it's completed. But it's a very nice possibility. Because if you come from a broken um, storyline, if you come from an unstructured family, and you come to Christ and you think, like, yeah, I see all of these blessings, I see all of this beautiful structure for the family, and I don't see that in my story, then maybe you can be the generation that starts this for your family. And it's such a beautiful image, such a powerful thing to be like, I can be the one to make a change in my family's history. And I can rewrite this story through the blessing of God in my life and through my family. So that's a very powerful message. And it's a very encouraging one to those who didn't come from a very loving or structured family storyline. This is a... This is another point that's made throughout the book, and I kind of touched on this prior. But today, we view family and we use family for our own personal gain. And this is because we're seeing the family as a collection of individuals. And when you see family as a collection of individuals, what happens is it's kind of an egotistical, self-centered approach to these relationships. And so it's like... There's a lot of of conflict, there's a lot of scarcity mindset that sets in because it's it's like, no, I need to be served first. I need to, to gather the resources that I need for my personal success before anyone else because otherwise I'm not going to get enough. And this idea that we have our homes, we have our families um, to serve our own personal gain and it's completely detached from a cohesive story or a cohesive goal. That's very detrimental to the whole family and to all of the individuals that are part of that family. Now, I want to point out that when I say, and when the book says, a collection of individuals, and then I keep mentioning the individuals that are a part, that are a part of this family, it may seem contradictory, but... At the end of the day, it is a collection of individuals because there are individual parts, individual people that compose the family. 
but it's not a collection of individuals in the sense that each person acts completely independent and that the relationships don't influence one another, you know? So when you contrast that with the idea of a family team, when you contrast that with with an idea of um, working together, of having a common goal, then you have the individuals being part of something larger than their own selves. That's a more biblically correct approach as this book makes a case for. So Western philosophy, this is another point that I wrote down. Western philosophy is that family should serve the individual more than the individual should serve the family. So this is just to wrap up this idea that I've been talking for the past few minutes. Um, then the book goes on to mention the three basics of the classical family framework. And these three basics are, number one, individual success is dependent on valuing the family team over, over the individual. Two, family success is determined multi-generationally, meaning you can't really measure the success of a family storyline, of a family succession line by one generation only because if you keep restarting the clock if you keep restarting the the metrics of evaluating that family success you have a very short span of time and resources because if you always need to start from zero you're never going to appreciate the the benefits of compound interest which is something that those who are more financially savvy will understand very clearly. So why is it that with money, we're so quick to understand the importance of compound interest? But when it comes to family, when it comes to family success, we keep thinking that we have to restart the count with each generation. It just doesn't make sense. You're never going to gain the compound interest of those who build before you if you keep having to start from zero. And the third point of the classical family basics is that the primary task of the current generation is to be faithful stewards in expanding and passing on the resources of the family to the next generation. So this, again, adds on to the point before. Um, Then the book goes on to um, lay out a case study that reveals where each person within the different frameworks of family, the classical and the nuclear, can derive their identities from. I note I noted down some pointers from this case study between two fictional boys, Isaac and Brad, Isaac belonging to classical family model and Brad to the secular Western family model. Basically, you can see where each uh, fictional child would derive their identity from basically Isaac or someone in the classical family framework would get their identity from within the family because he knows his role within the family. He knows where he belongs within the hierarchical structure of that family. Whereas someone from the secular um, nuclear family model would derive his identity from his peers, because his family structure and his family culture is very weak. So if you, if you can think about it, what is your family for? 
your particular family of you listening to this? What is your common goal? What are you here for? What values do you have? What do you prioritize? Is it just the status quo? Is it just the, oh yeah, let's have a, a house where the living room is just the couch that everyone has the same model of and the decor is the same that everyone has and we do the same activities as everyone else just because it's what's normal, what's expected? Or do we dare to, to do things a little, a little bit differently? Or do we have a clear goal? Even if it turns out you should carry out your home layout the same way that everyone else does, but you have clear values and clear goals and clear structures and rhythms for your own family, then that's already super valid. But just going with the current is not doing you many favors in achieving different results. So if you want the same results, then fine, do what everyone else is doing. But if you want different results, if you want deeper understanding and a deeper connection to God, if you want to create something more valuable than the average Joe, then you need to do things different than the average Joe. Which is a good um, a good quote, which is often attributed to Einstein, but I'm pretty sure it's not. But yeah, the defini- the quote goes like this. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and, accept- and expecting different results. It's just such a good, concise and clear way of showcasing that, yeah, if you want something different, you need to do things differently. Back to my point is on the case study. Then the nuclear family, the, the current Western family, is often powerless often finds itself to be powerless in combating peer-based identity because they don't have a strong family identity. So the the child or even adults, they don't have a lot of good foundations within the family to derive their identity from. This cultural shift, as I mentioned before, but now it's more clearly stated, this cultural shift in the family in the perception of family structure was probably in the 1960s when we began to collectively believe that um, putting yourself above the family group, above any group, basically, was a virtue to be pursued. But the beautiful thing is that God spoke purpose over family, over the, the family structure. He blessed it. He does the same thing with each new family that begins. So... Then Jeremy points out that families are designed to function like a team. As they multiply, as they are fruitful, as they fill, subdue, and rule the earth. Then he points out something that deserves broader exploration, but I'm just going to point it out in this episode. is the, the nest syndrome. I believe you've heard of this. If not, let me briefly explain it. Basically, you have a couple... And they raise their children, and when their children are of age, they leave and go on to do their own thing. They leave the the parents' house, move out on their own, or start their own family. And then that couple, as they are reaching um, old age, is left with an empty house, and it's often a large house, because it was required to have a larger house to raise children. But now... You're left with a large house and it's just you and your spouse. 
because your children have left home. And this is commonly known as the nest, the empty nest syndrome, because now you have, you spent all those years nesting your children, making sure that they were ready for life on their own. And now they have, they have left the nest and now you're left with an empty house. So being, he points out this, being a nest is a good thing. It's nice that you're preparing children to, to be able to function on their own. So being a nest is good, but being a nest is not the goal. It is rather a byproduct of a healthy family. So nesting really shouldn't be the goal of your family. So if you want a family full of love and happiness, what you need to do is pursue a meaningful goal or meaningful goals, plural, as a team. Then there's this fantastic quote. Today, a man could have an amazing career, leave his family in ruins, and still be considered a great man. And this, you can expect a, a more in-depth look at a case study that I'm doing on Warren Buffett. After reading his biography, Snowball, great book, and I do admire Buffett on many things. But basically, the areas that I admire Buffett and his and his career, it sums up to just his business strategies and business and market acumen. Everything else, relationally, I think he was a disaster. But yeah, you can expect a more in-depth look on his uh, on my thoughts on his biography at a later date. Stay tuned. So yeah, today you can have a man like Warren Buffett who had a very apparently quite structured, but when you look at his biographies, rather um, problematic. And you can have an amazing career. You can become one of the most successful, one of the richest people in the world. Have your family in an unstructured, unhealthy fashion and still be considered one of the greatest people alive. So that just seems wrong. That just seems like it's missing the point. What is the point then of having in this amazing career? What is the point then of amassing this huge amount of wealth if some of the most fundamental relationships in your life were completely unstructured? Then he lays out this, this mindset, and I, I found it fascinating. It's just a, a small framing of, of a situation that completely changes your understanding of it. When you're going to work, your family is sending you out as an envoy on a mission to strengthen the family with the resources that you bring. Instead of you seeing it as like, oh, I'm, I'm being deprived of my family or, oh, I'm, I, I have to go out and, and pursue this uh, on my own and all of that. Whatever the case may be, instead of looking at it like that, why not look at your work, your trade, or your job as as a mission that you're you're going to do the best job that you can to bring the resources back to the family so that you can strengthen the family.
Okay, so now we're going to go through the different identities or the identities of the different um, components of the family. So let's start with the mother. I didn't point out every single one of them. I just brought some that I really enjoyed. Um, so the identity of the mother. We often think, they will often think, that they are leading and loving the family alone because a mother seeking to put um, the family above her personal needs alone will find herself fighting alone to save a ship or long after everyone else has abandoned it. This is a common complaint that we have from mothers that they seem to be working, they feel like they're working alone to, to save, to keep the family afloat and it seems like everyone else is just not caring about it. About the identity of the children, I want to point out um, two things. In the classical family style, a, a kid doesn't need to find himself. His identity has flown from something outside of us, as is usually the case, but that thing that, that his identity has flown out of is within the family itself. And so he doesn't have to struggle to find himself, to understand who he is. He already knows. It's easier to know. But of course, as I stated before, this idea of the classical family also needs to be redeemed. So you can have distortions and you can have problems and you can have hardship and you can have brokenness come from a person in the classical family setting because they can derive this identity from something that is not healthy. If this family structure is also unhealthy, it can lead to brokenness, the same way that the nuclear family can. About the siblings, about the identity of the siblings, this is one that I found really, really insightful. And this is where the, scarc the scarcity mindset really shines. Siblings shouldn't view each other as competitors vying for parents' attention or fighting for family resources but rather they should see themselves as teammates, as, as um, players who have unique abilities to strengthen the team as a whole. So when you, when you have this, again, this mindset change, when you stop seeing or when you stop your children from seeing each other as competitors, when you stop seeing family resources, be that time, attention, money, whatever the case may be, when you stop seeing it as there is this finite pile of resources and I need to grab my share first. And when you start seeing like I'm contributing my resources, I'm contributing my abilities to the team as a whole. I'm adding to the pile instead of I'm taking from the pile. That's a very powerful and insightful mindset change that can really aid sibling relationships. And by extension, father-sons, father-daughters, mother-daughters, mothers and sons, relationships, because no one likes it when children are fighting amongst themselves. About the extended family, I think I'm going to leave that for another episode, because I still, because frankly, I still need to get a better understanding of, of grandparents' role, of, uh, not over, of not overstepping your, your boundaries and your place, what's the role of, of uncles and, and aunts, and um, this whole thing, I'm just going to leave that for another future episode. There's this, just this little pointer 
And again, I'm going to leave the tools for another per another moment because I think we've covered a lot today. So now I'm just going to wrap up with this little with this little pointer about planning your family, planning to have children. Is it an asset or is it evil? Is it adding or is it depleting, um, taking away from the pile, taking away from the family? And basically, again, both need to be redeemed and restored by Jesus and by biblical godly view. But the Western family seems to be seems to view having children as a cost. So the Western family is aware of the cost of having children too early because we know that there are many issues that can arise from it, of having children um, early on in the relationship or early on in the family planning phase and you don't have all of the necessary structures put in place. So the Western family is really aware of have of the cost that it takes of having children too early but the classical family is really aware of the cost of having children too late they also know the disadvantages and the the problems that can arise from delaying this um, process of having children and also they the classical family seems to view children more as as um, blessings. Um, this was also the majority of the Western classical of the Western nuclear family, basically until the industrial reform. And again, much deeper, much more complex topic. But yeah, I think this idea of of seeing, of understanding, of being aware of the costs, of the disadvantages, of the issues that can arise from having children too early or too late i think it's a very important conversation to have and it's a very important notion to carry out because you need to be both individually and in your family structure just you and your spouse you really need to be clear about which costs are you willing to take what are the things that you really value going forward and long term so that you can choose whether you're okay with taking these costs of having children either earlier or later in your family planning. So that's basically what I wanted to talk about. Um, I planned on talking about the article, The Nuclear Family Was a Mistake, this, again, is an article by David Brooks on The Atlantic that was released in March 2020. And it basically lays out this family structure that we've held. The, the subtitle is pretty, pretty nice. It's like, the family structure we've held up as a cultural ideal for the past half century has been a catastrophe for many. 
it's time to figure out better ways to live together. I think it's a very insightful article. And again, linked in the show notes, you can read it for, your, you can read it for yourself. I think it pairs well with this book and with the discussion that we've had today. So I'm going to end it there. I'm going to end it there. Some things that I wanted to, to mention is that I have a newsletter. Yes. And this, this podcast, the Origins of Home podcast, is part of The Quiet Fool. So you can go on to thequietfool.substack.com and find the newsletter called Quiet Thoughts. That's my, my newsletter. It goes out once a week, usually on Wednesdays. And it's basically about crafting a quiet life full of beauty, depth, and truth. So it's a great companion to, to this podcast. And it usually features also some things that I'm reading or um, listening to that inspire deeper thinking. Yeah, I think that's it. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a comment, um, a feedback. That would be great. You can also reach me out on Twitter both at Origins of Home or at Vinceslao Mari. The links are in the show notes. Again, as always, thank you for listening. We'll see you or we'll catch you in the next episode. Bye. This was another episode of the Origins of Home podcast. If you'd like to leave comments or feedback, you can send us an email over at originsofhomepod at gmail.com. If you'd like to get the show in more people's ears, leaving a review would be lovely. I would also like to encourage you to send this episode to one friend you think will like to hear what we talked about today. You can see useful links for today's episode in the show notes. And that's it. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll see you in the next episode. Bye.